On today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts, is Jim Benning's job saved? Well, it looks like it after a three-game sweep against the Ottawa Senators and a win against the Winnipeg Jets. We get into all that. Is Brock Besser back? Two goals against the Winnipeg Jets. Looking like an elite goal scorer in the National Hockey League. Has the defense turned the corner? Had a good defensive performance against the Winnipeg Jets. We get into all that. And of course, our guest this week is Nav Dosange of The Large Cast. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Before you go any further, before you listen any further, subscribe to the Next Misconduct Network. You get this show, obviously, but you'll also get Sippin' on a 40 with Kyle Bowen and frequent guest appearances by myself. I can't promise I'll be on every episode. You also get Silky and Filthy, Puck talking Bullshit every week, and of course, the Quickie. Yes, the Quickie is back. Trevor Beggs, his triumphant return to the Quickie. You can get that every morning, weekday morning, on the Next Misconduct Network. And we mentioned it off the top. Let's get right into it. Jim Benning, the Vancouver Canucks, their season was maybe saved against the Ottawa Senators. Yes. By, uh, by the time we last recorded to now, the Vancouver Canucks swept the Ottawa Senators and did it in, well, on the scoreboard it looked convincing. If you dig into the scoring chances, the shot against... They were still out. They were still outshot in every game. They gave up 24 shots in the first period of that first game, but nevertheless, they got all six points in regulation. They did the job. They did as well as you could expect it, results-wise. They followed it up at the time we're recording this Monday afternoon. Recording this, they beat the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday night, 4-1, and that was. You look at the numbers. The best defensive performance of the Vancouver Canucks this season, easily, easily. You look at the scoring chance numbers, the high danger chances numbers, seven for the Canucks, three, just three for the Winnipeg Jets, just one over the last two periods. Scoring chances, still a lot in favor of the Jets. They, they, they went 26-14, 15. 15 in the first period, but they shut the door after that, just 11 over the next two periods. And it makes sense. Think back to that game. Saturday night, it was 2-1. They held on to the first, and they cleaned up defensively after that. Again, the numbers sort of back it up. They're letting chances, just not those high-danger scoring chances. And maybe that's that's a recipe of success for the Vancouver Canucks the rest of the season. You're still going to let scoring chances. You're still going to have scoring chances. Just not... Just limit the high-danger scoring chances for the Vancouver Canucks. The Vancouver Canucks, their best defensive performance of the season, no doubt, Saturday night against the Winnipeg Jets. And they got two big games coming up. Again, we're recording this Monday afternoon. Two big games against the Montreal Canadiens. 
the bogey, the boogeyman from from earlier in the season, and then three against the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's going to be tough. Thursday, Saturday, Monday. Canucks Leafs Twitter, an epic battle for the ages. It, it's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. I'm interested to see if the Canucks have turned a corner defensively or it's just pretty much the teams they faced. Have they figured it out defensively or are they just playing a Ottawa team that looks all-time bad? I said on the live stream I thought they were pesky. They don't. They look all-time bad. If you watched that game last night, sends Oilers. Man, they get there. It's going to be a long season in the nation's capital. And the Jets, look, the Jets' defense, if you look on paper, the defensive that maybe worse than the Vancouver Canucks, which is saying a lot, right? It's just saying a lot because we all know that the deficiencies on the, on the blue line for the Vancouver Canucks. I think we figured out this past week the goaltending scenario for the Vancouver Canucks. I think Thatcher Demko will be the starter. Of course, there's a back to back against Montreal Monday, Tuesday. But after that, there's not any back-to-backs for close to a month. You're obviously playing every two days. But this is a real chat for Thatcher Demko to take the reins in this goaltending tandem that the Vancouver Canucks have. Look, he played well Saturday night, especially in that first period, I thought. I hope he had a good start last time against the Sens. Looks like he's going to get the start tonight at the time of recording against Montreal. Demko's going to get the second half of the back-to-back. And it'll be interesting. Again, I'm interested to see if the Canucks have turned a corner defensively or it's just the teams they played. They have been out, they've still been outshot in all but one, the game against the Jets, each season. Will that continue against Montreal? Will Tyler Toffoli... Will Tyler Toffoli terrorize the Vancouver Canucks at home? God, I sure hope not. And speaking of the fence, Jordy Ben. Jordy Ben's played really well on that right side with Quinn Hughes. I said it at the time of the Hammond exciting. I think it avoided a worst-case scenario where Jordy Ben, the Travis Hammond exciting, did a worst-case scenario where Jordy Ben playing significant minutes, but he's playing significant minutes now where the Vancouver Canucks partnered with Quinn Hughes. And guess what? He's playing all right. He's not that bad. You look at some of these numbers from natural stat. I've been getting big into natural stat trick just because I'm a big fan. You look at the numbers. He's played all right. He's played all right beside Quinn Hughes. And, of course, having Quinn Hughes beside you is going to paper over a lot of mistakes you make. But he didn't. He, he did better than Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes was on... For six shot attempts on the ice against for 14. Ben split was six and nine. So he did, I know it's still under 50%. But Jordy Ben, I think, can at least hold his own with Quinn Hughes on that on that right side. And Quinn Hughes, man, he's putting up points, but defensively, defensively, he's been prone to a few mistakes this season. He's got to clean that up. He really does. He really does, because they, they need him to be they need him to be at least 50% at five on five. And speaking of five on five, the lotto line, the uh, <coughs> excuse me, the lotto line is playing a lot better at five on five. That's something I really wanted to see from this group. Can they figure it out on five on five? I was not worried about the power play at all. 
I knew they would figure it out on the power play, but I wanted to see if they could figure it out at 5-on-5. Five five. And they were 50% at 5-on-5. Five five. I think that might be a bit misleading. They had that really good shift against the Winnipeg Jets. The lot of line did. They played well. They played really well. Again, they need to continue being dominant at 5-on-5 five five if the Canucks want to be a playoff team this year. A line that did really well at 5-on-5 five five against the Jets. The second line, Niels Hoaglander, Bo Horvat, Tanner Pearson. On ice for 13 shot attempts, against for four. Had, obviously, a goal for Niels Hoaglander. On the ice for two high-danger scoring chances, none against. Look, Niels Hoaglander... He's got a shot to be nominated for the Calder. I really think so. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on the Canadian division this year. There's going to be a lot of... A lot of people are watching the Canadian division this year more than other divisions. I firmly believe that. And you just... We, we said it in the Nexus Conduct group chat. He's a Swedish Brendan Gallagher. That's who he reminds me of. Tenacious on the boards. Plays bigger than he actually is. Got some skill. Got some grit. He scored a, that, that shift, the leading up to the goal, was just awesome. Deeks out the guy, then wins a board battle, goes to the net. Obviously gets a bit of a lucky bounce, but rewarded because of his good play throughout the season. We've said it before many times on this podcast. You know my thoughts. If Niels Hoaglander can unlock Bo Horvat at 5-on-5, five five, we know how good he is on the power play. Can he unlock him at 5-on-5? Five five? The answer so far is yes. Him, Niels Hoaglander, Tanner Pearson, a great second line for this team. And they've allowed the lotto line to work through their early season mistakes. And you're starting to see, again, you're starting to see a lot of line figured out on five on five. It'll eventually come. I, I, I'm, very, I'm very sure of that. Again, it's going to be interesting to see if they have the same success against better teams in Toronto and Montreal. Because I firmly think, and hear me out, I firmly think the two best teams in the Canadian division are Toronto-Montreal. Those guys will finish one or two in some order. Now, in terms of the next two, yes, the, the, the Flames beat the Canucks twice, but, look, they still have a lot of games in hand. Canucks have played 11 games, Flames have played seven. So seven games in hand, and they're, sorry, four games in hand, and they're, what, five points behind? Easily, you can easily make that up. Same with the Jets. Jets, eight games. Only team has played the same amount of games in this division as the Canucks' Oilers with 11. And they have two less points. So it's going to be, I think, between Jets, Flames, Oilers, Canucks for those final two playoff spots. So it's really about being better than those teams down the stretch and winning those head-to-head matchups. It sounds strange in hockey. It's almost like a baseball schedule, but it's true. Just be better than those teams, and you will be a playoff team this season. And try not to do too badly against the Habs and the Leafs. And also, pick up as many points as possible against Ottawa. It's crazy to think that already the Sens are 1-8, nine games played. A team can miss the playoffs if they don't pick up as many less points against the Sens than another team. Already crazy to think that. But that's how the season is shaping up. Now, we mentioned it off the top. Our guest this week is none other than Nav Dosanj of the Larshcast. 
Just a minute. Don't hang up. Yellow. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. So we now welcome on the Power of the Towel podcast, part of the Next Misconduct Network. Our guest today is the co-host of the Large Cast, which you can find wherever you get podcasts. And it's also on Sportsnet 650. It's Nav Dosange. Nav, how's it going today, man? I'm doing well, man. Nick, how are you doing? Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure. And uh, first off, I, I know before we start before we start talking hockey, I know you're a Packers fan. <laughs> All right, so I, I just want I just want to I just want to ask like you okay, bro? Like, do we need to do we need to talk this out before we start talking hockey? You know what? Not even only am I a Packer fan, but if you've heard some read some of my tweets or you know listened to the Large Cast, I'm a Seahawk hater. Okay. So everyone came out this week. My buddies, friends, people that I don't even like, you know, my fellow podcasters, are just like, oh, you know, I deserved it. I deserved it this week, but. Not only did they lose, it's the way they lost. Just terrible. I mean, I make fun of Pete Carroll every week. Every time he coaches, I think he makes really dumb decisions. But you know what? It's karma to me that my coach made a Pete Carroll decision there at the end and went for the field goal when, you know, anybody else would have gone for the touchdown. But uh, it's been a rough it's been a rough week. But you know what? At least the Canucks are doing better. So a little bit better. But, yeah, the Sunday was not fun. <laughs> you know, I, I remember, you know, just watching the game and, you know, they go for a field goal. I thought I thought they were, like, going – I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, what? Like, you, you want to really give Tom Brady – like, you really trust Tom Brady to – to, to not, you know, get a first down and, and, and to not end the game. Like, it just seemed like a weird decision. And I know Kyle's going to be listening to this. He's a big Packers fan as well. We're, we're, just, yeah. we're just twisting the knife right now, right now with this. To, to me, it's like, you know, the stupidest decision, there's two. Like, you know, you have, to me, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You got Aaron Rodgers. I mean, like, he's not like, he's not like a golf. He's not like yeah. a guy you can't trust. He's Aaron Rodgers. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's got the best arm. He's one of the smartest quarterbacks of all time. So, number one, you don't trust him. And then number two, like you said, you give the ball back to the GOAT. Like, there's no way. I mean, your defense, you could have the best defense in the league, and the Packers don't. They have one of the av most average defenses in the league, and it was terrible that day. And you're going to trust your defense against the GOAT as opposed to, you know, Aaron Rodgers. So, I mean, it was just a stupid decision all around. They deserve to lose. It is what it is. What are you going to do? Yeah, I know. You know what? It sets up a great Super Bowl uh, next Sunday with uh, with Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. And yeah. we, we, we can get to that some some other point. But uh, let's let's talk some Canucks hockey. This is a Canucks podcast, Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network. Yeah. Okay, so we're recording this on Friday. The Canucks mm -hmm. just swept the Ottawa Senators in the three-game series. Where are we with the panic button now? Compared to before the Sen series, are we still where, where are we at on the panic button? Before before the Sen series, yeah. I said they got to win at least two of three, right? They got to yeah. go at least two of three, preferably in regulation. And for me, yeah. the panic button before that series, it was on the desk. Yeah. I, I was staring at it. I wasn't ready to push it quite yet. I was. I was. Yeah. Just, it's on the desk. It's within reach. I'm staring at it, not pushing it. I, but I know. I, but I, I can see it. Now I think the panic button is somewhere across the room. It's not easily accessible anymore, but yeah. it, it's. I still know where it is. Where are yeah. you with with the Canucks right now in terms of in terms of the panic button? You know, I'm not even sure if I was panicked before this three game three game set against the Ottawa Senators. I mean, I remember sending out a tweet uh, right before the series began. Is like, yes, Vancouver needs to sweep the Ottawa Senators. They need to sweep them in regulation. But if they do, and hopefully when they do, it won't mean anything because like we know. I mean, Ottawa was terrible. I mean, we saw yeah. these last three games. I mean they're like an AHL team. Like, I don't want to feel bad for them because, you know, we've been there before, but they're bad. I mean, they scored, what, three goals in three games and we outscored them 16 to three. 
I mean, I wasn't panicked before. I think the panic button is exactly where it was before these three games. It's, it's, it's in a room. I know exactly, like you said, I know where it is. I can get into the room. It's not locked. But my concern is how they play this Saturday. I mean, we yes. never play well against the Winnipeg Jets anyway. So this could probably be, there couldn't be a better matchup. I mean, we, if we were playing Calgary or Edmonton or Montreal, you know, we come out and beat them. I don't know if that means anything, but we're playing the Winnipeg Jets, a team that for years, even when we were a good team, a bad team, we always get our butts kicked. So this Saturday is a true test. I mean, if they come out and they even compete and say they lose the game three to two, four to three, whatever, I'm cool with that. But if they come out and get their butts kicked like they usually do against the Jets, especially in Winnipeg by three, four goals, then there's some serious concern to this season to say like, hey, listen, they beat the Senators and they beat the Senators, but they're allowing about 40 shots a game. So, I mean, there's concern. There's definite concern. So I think we'll have a true answer probably by Saturday night, Sunday morning, what this team is going to be. So I know where the panic button is, but hopefully I don't have to go into that room. Yeah, and uh, we, uh, Kyle and I talked about this last night on the postgame show, uh, Sipping on 40. Winnipeg is almost like Vegas away when the mm-hmm. sense that we always see, the Canucks always seem to have you know terrible games in Winnipeg. Like it seems to be kind of yeah. like that Vegas. I don't know what it is about Winnipeg. Maybe they don't want to be there in January. I don't know, but like, mm-hmm. like it's just every time the Canucks go to Winnipeg, it seems to be a bad, bad performance. And you mentioned that the team, the t- I think, sorry, I think just, the Canucks are getting a break here because obviously the Jets will still not have Pierre-Luc Dubois. And yeah. they're not going to have Patrick Liney as well because of, yeah. of the trade. So yeah. you're getting a bit of a break there in the sense you don't have to go against, you know, one of the best one-two punches, I think, down the middle in the league when Pierre-Luc Dubois does get back in the lineup. But at the same time, you mentioned it. Canucks don't usually play that well in Winnipeg. And I don't get it. Like you said, like maybe they don't want to be in uh, you know, Winnipeg, but like you said, it's the anti-Vegas. Like I can understand if you go to Vegas, any team that goes to Vegas, you know, if you've been to Vegas, you're probably not going to have a good game because you're out the night before. I don't care if you have a curfew. You're going to go out in Vegas. You're not going to yeah. be in your room. What is there to do in Winnipeg? I mean, if that's the excuse, I mean, yeah, maybe they don't want to be in Winnipeg, but they got a good team. I mean, Ellers. I mean, I hate to bring up Ellers because it brings back bad me- memories of Jake Vertanen. I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll talk about that. But I mean, they got a top six is probably one of the best in the league. I mean, and they all play together. Now they brought the stats me back from Vegas. I mean, they're scary top six. They're the top six that you want. I mean, their top six probably scares me more than even like the Edmonton top six because Edmonton's just got two great players and the rest of them, you know, are fourth line plugs in my opinion or third line players. But the top six for Winnipeg, I mean, and I mean, they're just going to get better. I mean, they're three centers. Now, who do they have? They got uh, Dubois. They got all these guys. Now they got stats. He's going to be the third center. I mean, that team scares me. That's a scary team to me. I had them ranked a little bit lower at the beginning of the year, and I'll admit I was wrong. I think, to me, they're going to be right there behind Toronto in the regular season because I think Montreal will kind of come down a little bit. I mean, I don't want, I mean, we're lucky we don't play. That's one of the teams, if you look at the schedule, we don't play them multiple times. Like, we play Calgary four times in a row, Edmonton three times in a row, Toronto. I think Winnipeg, the most we ever play them is maybe two times in a row, and none of them are back-to-back. So we're glad that we don't have to see them that much because they're going to be a good team. I think the thing that still kind of concerns me about Winnipeg, though, is their defense. Like, I'm sure they have all these great forwards, but their defense, like, I think the Canucks may have better defensive depth than the Jets, and that, and that's saying something, right? And obviously they have a great goalie, but you can't expect a guy like Connor Hellebuck, I don't think, to perform to the same level as he was last year. Like, it was all world last year. And, and to say, like, you need to perform at that same level, it, it may or may not work out. And, and, yeah, you mentioned that it's a big game against the Jets uh, coming up on, on Saturday. Look, the Jets still have three games in hand no. against the Vancouver Canucks, and that's the biggest thing that concerns me going forward. Is all these teams have games in hand? Like I'm looking at the I'm looking at the division right now. No. Canucks have played ten games. 
Oilers have played nine. The Jets, they're going to be battling with this team probably for that third, fourth spot. They've played seven. I think it's going to be like, I, I was, I'll admit I was completely wrong about the Sens before this series. I watched a couple of their games. They beat, you know, they beat Toronto. They kind of, they were almost, they almost beat the Jets. I thought they were going to be pesky. I thought yeah. they would be like a somewhat competitive team. That's not the case yet. They're going to be the clear bottom of yeah. this division. But I think it's honestly between the, the Jets, the Oilers, and maybe even put the Flames in there. The, the Flames are 2-3-1 and one right now at yeah. the time of recording, but they've only played six games, so they have four games at hand. So I, I, I still think like they can be in the conversation as well. So it pains me to say it, Toronto's probably going to be the best team in the division. They're probably winning. It, it, it pains me to say it, but Toronto's probably going to win. the. I'm not saying they're going to have playoff success. No, not saying that at all, but no. they will probably win the division Montreal second. I think that's how it's going to shape up. Right. But, so now the rest of the season, it's about, yeah. it's about being better than the jets, the Oilers and the flames. If you can be better than those teams, you probably have a shot at making the playoffs. I don't think they're going to be better than the jets. Cause I've said I'm, I'm that team scares me, but it's yeah, now with Dubai. Ed- yeah. 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 It's Edmonton, Calgary. And I do think, I know Montreal is just, you know, they're just guns blazing right now, but I think they're going to come down to earth a little bit. I'm not saying, I think they're a playoff team. I think they were going to be on the bubble. I thought mm-hmm. they'd kind of miss, but I think they're going to be in that four, five, three, four, three to five spot, right? They're going to come down. They're not as good as they've played, just like the Canucks aren't as bad as they've played defensively. I think they're somewhere in the middle. Um, teams will figure them out. I'm not really, I'm not really high on the Montreal defense. I'm not, yeah. I mean, you got Shea Weber there, but he's another year older. Petrie's pretty good, but and they're deep, and the goalies are good. I mean, Carey Price, I think, obviously not playing 70 games this year with, you know, Jake Allen there. I think he'll be better, but I'm not sold on their defense. Uh, their offensive um, lineup is pretty good. But again, not not much top-end talent there. I mean, there's some young guys in there. I mean, Toffoli obviously basically just scores against the Canucks. I mean, he got one last night, but they're going to be in that three to five bubble. I think Edmonton, Edmonton's Edmonton like they do every year, man. I mean, they got, if, like, look at the stats. I was reading something last night is, if uh, Connor McDavid and uh, Drysaddle don't score, they don't win. And I mean, yeah. they both scored last night and they still didn't win. And Calgary, again, Calgary's only beat Vancouver. Uh, not very high on them either. So yeah, I think, I think Vancouver is going to be competing with those three teams, Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal. And I think to me, like I said, Toronto is, like you said, clear cut. They're going to be top of the heave. And, you know, Winnipeg, in my opinion, will probably be that number two spot, but it's going to be a battle, man. 56 games. I mean, it seems like it's, it's going to be a race, but you know what? The thing is they're playing each other. Yeah, they're playing each other. So every single game, it's a four point game. And, and you look at the Canucks schedule, luckily, the bot at the second half of the season, it's pretty, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's pretty favorable. I mean, they play Ottawa, I think six times uh, out of the last like 25 games there. So I mean, there's there's gonna be wins to be had. So I think they'll be in the bubble there. But it's gonna be an interesting season. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And you mentioned the Oilers. I think this season is going to be the ultimate test in hockey to see if two really good players can carry a team, you know, to a playoffs and, ha- and have success, right? Because you mentioned, Oilers have two of the best players in the world, Conor McGavin and Leon Dreisaitl, and not really much else. Like, they don't really have a good outside of forward depth from in terms of that, not that much. Their goalies are Koskinen, and they got this Stuart Skinner guy. He doesn't have a 900 save percentage in the AHL. Like, yeah. it's just, it's it's tough. And the Oilers are going to be interesting to see if those two players are, are so good they can make up for for the rest of the of the uh, of the team, right? But yeah. you mentioned it earlier with with the series against the Sens, the Canucks were outshot every single one of those games. No. The, the reason they were they, you know, they won that series handily is mo- mostly because I think the Sens got shit goaltending. Like they were did not the Matt yeah. Murray at Hogberg or whatever the guy's name is, he didn't have that grave series. Like I'm on natural stat trick right now, 
The Canucks have given up 265 shots so far this season. Second only to the Edmonton Oilers, who have given up 221. The Canucks have given up 40 more shots than the other second-worst team in the National Hockey League. And and that's going to be a concern for me, and I'm interested in your thoughts on it. The team defense, like, where do we... How do the Canucks fix this other than, you know, just accept that you're going to give up a lot of shots and hope you score four or five goals a game, which they did to their credit against Ottawa. It, it's scary. It worries me tremendously because, I mean, if that was any other team, I mean, let's say Calgary. I mean, I think offensively, they're probably, they're probably other teams left, they're probably the offensively weakest team, I would say. Like, you know, you got Monaghan and Goudreau, mm. not much else. But even if you give those chances to Calgary, they're burying four or five goals, especially that game, the middle game there, where they allowed 24 shots in the first period. If that's Calgary, that's 4-1. If that's Toronto, that might be 6-7-1. I mean, the other end is like, I don't know if you've been noticing, I think a lot of the chances they give aren't like that they're playing bad defensively, is they can't get the puck out. Yeah. They'll make that one extra cute pass. Like Tyler Myers is famous for that. Like instead of getting the puck off the boards, you'll try to make the little back pass. You'll fan on it. Um, you know, Quinn Hughes has been accused of that a little bit this year. He hasn't been great. Obviously, the last few games, he's really picked it up. I mean, but defensively, I think they haven't been as bad, even though it looks bad on paper. It's been more their own doing of like not getting the puck out of their zone, making the extra cute pass, you know, get, even Nate Schmidt. I mean, he's giving away pucks, right? Like he's been better the last couple of games, but against Montreal there, he was horrible. So I think it's something they can correct. Last year, I remember they were just getting hemmed into their own zone because they didn't have the defenseman. They had Tana, who was great. We all miss him. Yeah, fair enough. But they had an issue they couldn't get. They weren't fast enough. They didn't have that one quick pass, and they were just a reason of ability. This year, I'm not sure if it's ability. I think it's just boneheaded mistakes, which I think can be fixed. Hopefully, will be fixed, but they haven't had a training camp. Yeah. They haven't had a training camp, but they got Nate Schmidt. They had, obviously, Ben wasn't a major piece of the team last year. He's coming this year. He's playing a little bit more, and he's played well, actually. Um, Hamannick hasn't played in almost a year, so I think that can be self-corrected. I think that can be, those mistakes can be, obviously, taken down. But yeah, till this point, obviously it is worrisome. They can't do that against good teams. So the worry again in a fifty game, fifty-six game schedule is they better figure that out quickly. You know, you can't be at game thirty saying, "Okay, we're finally gelling." You need to gel now. Like training camp is over. You're five and five. Your D better be able to get that puck out of the zone without making boneheaded mistakes. And if they can do that, they could probably get those shots down to hopefully in the you know high twenties, right? Mm-hmm. And then hopefully Demko can be demigod like he was, you know, last year in yeah. Vegas and. He can prove himself. And Holtby, Holtby's been fine. But, you know, if you're going to give up breakaways and three-on-ones and, you know, two-on-ones, what are you going to do? They're not, they're, he's not as good as Markstrom is, right? So that's just, that's just what we have to live with. Yeah, and it goes back to what we were talking about before. The Canucks have played 10 games, and all these other teams have games in hand. Like, the runway yeah. is essentially – there's no runway. Like, you have, to, you have to start picking up points against all these teams, against the teams you mentioned earlier. And you, and you just mentioned it, Dem, uh, Demko versus Holby. That seems to be, it's been a while since we had a goalie controversy in Vancouver, right? Like, I miss it. I, mi- I, <laughs> I miss, miss it. I miss it. I miss it. Yeah, it's, a, it's, uh, a, it's an integral part of being Canucks fan. Who's going to be the starting goalie? Um, who, who would you go with personally? Because, you know, it's, I think it's hard at the end of the day to judge the two games that they both played against, recent games against Ottawa, because they both let in one goal. They both played pretty well. I would go with Demko just because, for me personally, the good old eye test watching that game that he had yeah. against Ottawa, he was a lot more impressive. Like again, that that was a game where they had like twenty four shots in the first period, and yeah. he kept them in it. So this yeah. this game again, we're recording this on Friday. The game against Winnipeg is going to be the the real test to see who the coaching staff likes 
going yeah. forward because that is the really the first time this season where there's no back-to-back and you're not playing guys because of rest. You're playing the best guy. So, like, who would you go with? I would go – I couldn't agree with you more. I'd go with Demko. I mean, even in his losses, like that loss against Edmonton the second game of the season where he came in and I know they lost 5-2, but those were some glorious opportunities. There was one play where Connor McDavid, I think he scored his second goal where he walked right in and he took a backhand. Demko saved the first one and McDavid, you know, poked in the second one. So the thing with that is, to me, like you said, the eye test. Demko's passed the eye test more. Holtby's let in, you know, those breakaway goals where he just doesn't look strong. I mean, Demko's mm-hmm. let in those same goals. But to me personally, he looks a little bit more solid. And some of the opportunities that have faced him seem like he's made the harder save. And to me, he's, he's, he should be the goalie of the future. Holtby's here on a, what, two-year contract? Yeah. So if you're the Canuck franchise, if you're the Canuck players, if you're the ownership, you're, you're the management, you need to trust Demko first. Like, Demko better be playing tomorrow. And if Demko, give him a run of games. Give him a run of three, four games in a row to me. And if he obviously falters, you have Holtby there. But Holtby should be nothing more than a 1B option for this team, in my opinion. Yeah, and it, and it goes, I think a big factor is going to be Travis Green. Like, we all know his contract situation. He doesn't have a contract after this season. And it's 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 the problem when you have, you know, the quote-unquote lame duck coach in this situation, right? Because he's going to go with whatever goes with the best opportunity to win that game. Yeah. You know, future consequences be damned. And that's a situation you go in with a, with a lame duck coach is, yeah, I agree. I think Canucks need to get Holpe some more starts because he is the goalie of the future. But at the end of the day, the guy who's in charge of, you know, putting out the team sheet is yeah. Travis Green. And he's going to go with, I need to protect my reputation. I need to get wins because if I have a bad season, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to have another head coaching job. It just it, And I don't understand. I mean, I get it to a point, and it's maybe not a conspiracy theory, but I was thinking about it the other day. Is how do you not give this guy a contract, you know, like, why is he on his last year? This guy took you, I mean, took you basically almost to the conference finals. Even in the years prior to that, he's made players out of certain guys, like even Jake Vertanen. I mean, he is what he is, but he's come a long way. And a lot of that has to be Travis Green. He helped him down in the minors, you know, and I think he's kind of coached him up a bit. And he's done well with even years they haven't been a good team, like pr- prior to last year. So to me, it's just what I kind of was thinking the other day. I was sitting here thinking, I'm like, why doesn't this guy have a contract? And to me, is I think it's because the ownership is worried about Jim Benning. Mm. is I think their thinking is like, okay, if this thing goes sideways this year and they have to fire Jim Benning and they bring in another general manager, do they really want to be paying two general managers at the same time? And then you've hired this coach to a three, four year, whatever contract that Travis Green wants. And then, you know, the first thing a general manager that comes in, his first little out is, is to fire the coach. Like two years down the road, say, hey, oh, the Canucks aren't doing well. Like, okay, I'm going to fire the coach. That's my first little trump card I can throw to save his own butt. So now you're going to be, you know, you're going to be paying two coaches. So this ownership group that is, you know, throwing money at the team, hey, listen, it's COVID. I mean, these guys are losing money. They're not having any crowd into the arena. So they're yeah. giving, they're paying these players, but they're not having any revenue back. They may be billionaires, but money's money. I mean, <laughs> no one, no one's going out there. Me and you, you know, working normal jobs. We don't want to be losing hundreds of dollars a day. Hey, they're in a different world. They're billionaires. They don't want to be losing yeah. millions of dollars. So fair enough. Maybe I just think that's what it is. I think they don't want to give this guy a contract where they're going to be rich, maybe in a couple of years paying two general managers and perhaps two coaches. So they want to see how this year goes, maybe midway and see if they're in a playoff spot. Then perhaps they can talk about it. And you know, speak for yourself that you're working. I got that sweet, sweet sir money coming in. I think I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty set for now, but, but you, you meant, you mentioned a good point. I think the, the next general manager, if there is a next general manager and we'll, we'll get into this right after this, but, I think, you know, the next general manager, he usually likes to, to 
pick his coach, right? So if yeah. you do, if you do have questions about Jim Benning, if you do have questions about his management style, and if he's the guy who can take you to that next level, you may want to hold off on giving that guy a contract extension because the new guy might come in and say, you know what, I don't think he's the right, he's the right fit for this team going forward. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, you got it. They're kind of stuck in this. They're, they're kind of stuck in this spot because there's so much hate for Jim Benning. I mean, there's a group of section of fans, and you can say what we want. It does make a difference, especially in this social media age. Um, mm-hmm. You think the ownership isn't watching that? You know, like, and how much the media kind of gets involved in it as well. You think they're reporting it? It makes a difference. This isn't like the '90s where you know you can turn your TV off, you can turn your radio off, you know, and that's it. No one's gonna. You, the noise isn't gonna get to them. The noise is getting to them. They're hearing this. Benning's hearing it. The Aquilinis are hearing it. It makes a difference. And <clears throat> Benning is such one of those bipolar characters, not himself, but just the fan base on this guy. Yeah. You either love him or you hate him. There's very few people in the middle of like, yeah, he's all right. He's okay. No, you either want him fired or you want him like, you want him to be the general manager. Like you want him to have an extension. You want him to have a, you know, you think he's done a great job. He's brought all these young guys in. So they're in a hard spot. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I really wouldn't want to be in Francesco Aquilini's spot besides the money part of it. I mean, I wouldn't want to make that decision right now. Like, what do you do? Like you're right on the cusp of perhaps being a contender in a year or two, but does Jim Benning have the ability to sign these guys like Pedersen Hughes on good contracts to kind of take the next step? Or do you want to bring a new guy in? And then, and this guy might be like, Hey, you know what? you got a good team, but I want to trade Brock Besser. Or I want to trade, you know, I want to trade Bo Horvat. So yeah. it, it, they're, they're stuck in a bit of a hard spot here. I think they're going to be a tough decisions coming up here. Yeah, and you mentioned a good point about Francesco Aquilini. Like he's a local owner. Like he he's yeah. he's he's he, he grew up in this city. He grew up a, a fan from like what I what I've read. Like he's yeah. he's he's not like a, a owner who maybe lives in another city, and you know views this team as an investment, <clears throat> and in the sense that well, there's rumors about Francesco Aquilini selling a team, but you know he's local. Like he he hears the criticism when it happens. And like a guy, a guy has a Twitter account. People are tagging him all the time when they want like changes and all that stuff. So yeah, it, yeah. It, it does, it does. I assume like all this stuff get to the Aquilini somehow or another. He may not be reading the tweets himself, but yeah. she's got assistants who you know scour the social media and say, oh well, you know people aren't liking Jim Benning tonight or however the hell it yeah. works. I don't really know, but yeah. But that's it. Like I don't know if we've ever had an owner like this, and he's another guy that gets a lot of hate. But hey. Besides this year, the whole Toffoli thing, I mean, people are saying that he was the reason they didn't want to buy Sutter out, whatever it was. This guy spends to the cap. The, I mean, the family, the ownership group, all of them, they spend to the cap every single year. I mean, yeah. they give this team every, they give the general manager, the management side of this team, every opportunity to succeed. I mean, in a normal non-COVID time, if Jim Benning went to him and said, hey, listen, we want to go sign Taylor Hall if they had the cap space for $8 million. I think Francesco Aquilini wouldn't be like, well, no, no. He'd be like, here you go. Here's a paycheck. You're under the cap. You need the money. We're going to spend to it. He would never say no. So I think I've lived through, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've been watching this team for a long time. I'm probably a little bit older than you are, but I've lived through like the John McCaw era, right? I've lived through some of the eras where like, you don't know if the team was going to be in the city. I mean, we were given threats like, hey, 25 cents moves this team. Like (laughs) you got a good owner. We're very lucky, right? We're very, very lucky, but. Again, the bad side of that is like he's a fan, like you said. He's like me and you. Could yeah. you imagine being a billionaire? I mean, I could. I'd be just like him. I'd be. My fingers would be all over this team. It's like, hey, why don't you go do this? Why don't you go do that? It's easier said than done from a fan to say, hey, don't get involved. But like you said, he's a fan, and he's the owner. So at the end of the day, he can do what the hell damn he pleases, right? Mm-hmm. What do you can do about it? Yeah, absolutely. And and in the, going to the topic of Jim Benning, he he's been. Like you mentioned he's been a polarizing figure 
for a number of years in, in this market. Do you think he's actually on a hot seat with ownership? Like, what you, what's your sense of if this guy could actually be removed? I don't think I don't think it's realistic for him to just be canned midseason with COVID and everything. But I do think there it could if this thing if this thing goes sideways the rest of the year, there's a possibility yeah. that that changes could be made. I, I've made the case. I originally compared Jim Benning to a cockroach, like you can't kill the guy, but I felt that was too harsh. He's more like a cat with nine lives, you know, like. Every time this, you, the fans think this is the moment Jim Benning is yeah. going to be fired, he ends up saving his job somehow. Whether that you know the ownership gives him a contract extension, the Canucks have a good season. Like remember back in I think it was February 2018, he got a contract extension, and this yeah. was right yeah. after the Canucks drafted Elias Patterson, right before they drafted Quinn Hughes, yeah. and everyone's losing their minds. Like what the hell? What the hell? This yeah. guy somehow saved his job, and it just yeah. it just seems like every time like exact like, perfect example this past week. Right? Yeah. Everyone's every, it, it, people are yeah. saying, oh, if Jim Benning doesn't doesn't, you know, if the team doesn't perform well against Ottawa Senators, this could be it. And what happens? They win three straight against Ottawa, they're back to five hundred, and yeah. for the most part, they're back in the playoff race. Well, look look who helped him too, Brandon Sutter, yeah, the his guy boy. that gets so much crap for his Brandon boy. Sutter gets gets a hat trick. I'm like, how the hell does Brandon Sutter get a hat trick you know why because he had like you said jim banning has nine lives he had to save his boss he had to save his boy but you know i i agree i mean i think to your earlier question he is on the hot seat but again he is not going to get fired during the season because what's the point there's no point firing it'd be so hard to replace someone like that like mid-season with covid and everything yeah i mean again there's a fort like you're going to interview people you're going to interview most of your people probably from the states just because you know the landscape population wise and most of the guys you're probably going to interview are going to be in the states you got a 14-day quarantine you fire Jim Benning tomorrow. Like, what is the point? And a new general manager is going to come in. He's not going to do much. Not in the first, whatever, like, say there's 30 games left. There's, he ain't going to change the team much. Whatever he's going to change, he's going to change in the mm-hmm. offseason. So to your point, if, yes, he's on the hot seat, but like you said originally, if he's going to get fired for this season going sideways, it's going to be in the offseason. So if they miss the playoffs, if they miss the playoffs, I would be surprised if he comes back next year. I, I think they will make a change if they, if they do not make the playoffs. And, and, and that, I don't think that makes a difference. I know something that TJ were talking about on the large cast last week is like, hey, if he misses it by two or three points, that's a major difference of him missing it by 15 points. I don't know. I don't know. The way this fan base reacts and the way, like I said, he's listening, he's watching, he knows they can miss the playoffs by a point on the last game of the year. After how they played last season in the bubble and almost got to the conference finals, anything short of making the playoffs and making at least a somewhat noise, he'll get canned if he misses. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I do agree. I think it is very much black and white with with the goals this season, yeah. right? Like if he if if the team in in general misses the playoffs, I think I think it's time for the guy's been around for for seven years at that point, right? Like this yeah. team is his team. Like there's yeah. obviously holdovers like a guy like Alex Edler, and but for the most every everyone else like are guys he brought in. Yeah. So it's hard, it's tough to say like I I need another opportunity. If you miss the playoffs this season, but again, you can use the COVID excuse. I, I, I can see Jim Benning saying, "Look, I didn't get a preseason. I didn't get a full off season. I couldn't really make the trades I maybe wanted to because of COVID restrictions. You know, we had a weird we had a weird schedule. We we're playing the same six teams all throughout a, a shortened season. So I can see you know Jim Benning somehow saving his job as well because of COVID. It, it, it could go either way, but I do think yeah. there will be real, real, real pressure, like way more than we saw this past week after a bad start. If they do miss the playoffs." You know what, if, if he was a general manager anywhere else, even the other six Canadian cities, maybe not Toronto, maybe the five other Canadian cities, I would agree with you. 
but like all the media people, even like the national media, like Elliot Friedman said, always jokes about it on hockey night. Yeah. There's listen, man, he goes, a Vancouver fan base, the Vancouver Twitter crowd. He's like, they're special. They're a special <laughs> crowd. And that's probably, yeah. he's putting it nicely because he doesn't want to really say what we are. But in this city, I would be shocked if they miss the playoffs, if he keeps his job. I mean, I don't want anyone to get fired, but, and to me personally, like I was, they always had that bending bro, bitter bro, the argument, the conversation. Yeah. I was probably more leaning, if you want to call it, Benning, bro. I, I've liked some of the stuff he's done. Like, you know, we we always crap on some of the bad stuff, some of the Louis Erickson contracts and the Brandon Sutter contracts. But if you look back at that time, the Louis Erickson, everyone was, most people were praising it because, yeah, they were still kind of in that with the city and stuff. You understood it. Brandon Sutter was a pretty reputable player at that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were in the downward. And he's done some good things. I mean, Tyler Mott, what has he got, five goals this year? I mean, who did he get him for? Vanek, he got him for free. I mean, there's good things he's done. Right. He's, he's done some good things and he's obviously his handprints are all over the drafting and the Judd, you can say Judd Brackett did it, but you know, he's a general manager, but this past off season when they couldn't sign Tyler to Foley, that's where I finally, I mean, I, I had no issue with them letting go of Markstrom, had no issue with them letting go of Tana, but I got it contracts. You weren't going to give those guys those contracts, yeah. but when you give up Tyler to Foley after giving up a draft pick and a prospect for him, you know, a somewhat highly touted prospect in Madden and you don't even attempt to sign this kid. And he got what four point two five million. It, like, I mean, if Tyler Toffoli would have signed somewhere else for six six and a half million, all you know what? Like Brian Burke used to say, I'll drive him to the airport, no yeah. problem. You know what? But when you sign this guy for four point two five million, and you don't even give me a basically a phone call to this guy because you can't throw out, you know, you can't uh, trade out money. I mean, he's he's got he's got something to answer to, and that's frustrating. And then Toffoli comes in and scores like what almost back to back hat tricks against us. I mean, it's not doesn't look good on him. He doesn't look good on him. So I've kind of. I've started leaning the other way a little bit. I don't want to call myself bitter because I don't think I'm ever bitter, but <laughs> I'm teeter-tottering and yeah. I think I'm a little bit over here now. You're, you're straddling the fence. I'm straddling the <laughs> you're fence. You're straddling yeah. the fence. Yeah, and you know what? That leads me to my next question. I had Brad Thomas on last week and I asked him this question. Yeah. Who do you think this team misses more, Jacob Markstrom or Tyler Toffoli? And I'll just preface it with this. Yeah. You know, obviously Jacob Markstrom got a shout out his first game against the Vancouver Canucks and, and that was a story. Like that's obviously, you know, former goalie that, used to, you know, carry this team, and he carried this team a lot last season, mm. getting a shout-out in the first game. That's obviously a story. But I don't think many people were too upset with the contract he got from from the Flames, right? A lot yeah. of people were said, like, he's a good goalie, but you can't give him that term. No. In, in in contrast, Tyler Foley getting a hat-trick, his first game against the Vancouver Canucks in Vancouver, there's just something mm. so visceral and so in-your-face about that, right? There's just something like, this guy scored a hat-trick against you, and he almost got a hat-trick the, la- the next game as well. He got two goals, yeah. and he hit a crossbar late. Could have had two ha- straight hat-tricks against this team, right? So I, I guess the question is, like, who do you think the the team misses more, Markstrom or Toffoli? And which was the more egregious non-signing, Markstrom or Toffoli? Well, well, first of all, to your question is, isn't that such a Canuck thing to happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. We, 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 yeah. I, t- I tweeted <laughs> out the time. Like, it's just the most Canuck thing ever. This guy, like, destroys yeah. us first game back. And a guy I, we could have signed. I, I had a feeling before that game started. I'm like, watch. Markstrom's going to get a hat trick. I mean, sorry, Markstrom's going to get a shutout against us just yeah. because that's what happens to us. And Tanev had blocked, like, eight or nine shots, which was, like, the most, you know, a defenseman's ever blocked for Calgary or something. And then Toffoli comes in. Um, to me, like I mentioned earlier, to me, it was the Toffoli. Losing out on Toffoli hurts the most in the long run because he was a member of that top six. Yeah. I mean, Hoaglander's done great, right? Okay, Hoaglander's done awesome, but like in the big picture, a year or two down the road, yeah, Hoaglander's going to be great, but d- does he need to be in that top six? And if he needs to be in the top six, Pearson does not need to be in that top six. 
I'm not a huge fan of Tanner Pearson. I think he's he's a middle six player. He'd be a great player on your you know on your third yeah, line. Yeah, he's a better line suited right? on a, on a third line on a good team. Absolutely. So if you had Toffoli there, that just rounds out your top six so much better. And the contract was nothing. It was about four years or three years at four point two five. Four by four point two five. Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah. I mean. Markstrom. So, like you asked me, who do they miss more? Maybe this year they may miss Markstrom more, right? Because Demko is still kind of coming up. But I think next year and the following years after, I think Toffoli is also only like 27, 20 years old. In the long run, in the next four years, I think Toffoli is going to be the one that got away because of the contract, because it was such a small, short, short-term contract, small money contract. You weren't going to sign Markstrom. You weren't going to do it. I mean, it sucks to lose that guy. Even if we had cap space, we didn't have the Ericsons, the Sutters, the Beagles, the Russells, whatever. You don't want to give a goalie $6 million over six years, whatever contract he got from Calgary. Um, and and, and uh, protection in the expansion draft. You mm-hmm. know, Because then as soon as you did that, people got to realize as soon as you did that, Demko's value went to nothing. No one would give you anything for Demko. If you were going to do that, you would have had to trade Demko last year. And it's a good thing they didn't because they needed him. So, I mean, yeah, like it looks bad right now because Markstrom has been all right. But I mean, listen, next year, year after that, that contract is not going to look good on Calgary. Tanev, same thing. He had to leave. But that Toffoli contract, I'm telling you this year, next year, the year after, that's going to bite them because that guy's a goal scorer. And man, he would have looked good on that top top pairing there with Pedersen and Miller or even playing with Horvat because you better hope Pocosin works out. <laughs> yeah. If he doesn't. Who's your who's your sixth member of that? Who's your like the third member of that second line with Bo Horvat and Hoglander? Because it doesn't you don't have anybody else coming. You don't yeah. Lind. The people mention Lind. You you know they mentioned he's a bottom six guy at Bo at Matt. Yeah, that's, from that's, what I've heard. Yeah, and even I mean Paul Cozen, he looks good, but I mean he, he's not scoring much. Mm-hmm. He's not scoring many goals. I mean yeah, maybe he can come in. He can be one of those kind of tough, hard, strong-headed players, hard guys to come in there. You know, and it might help Bo Horvat, but. In the, to play in the top six, you need to have hands. You need to have skill. You need to score goals. And Toffoli was just... I mean, it bugs me till this day. It bugs me till this day that they weren't able to figure that out because, man, he looked good with Pedersen and Toffoli. Yeah. He looks so, I mean, Pedersen and Miller. He looked so good with those guys. And In the bubble, especially. Them. Like, he like he was he was awesome. Yeah. And, you he know, let, let, let's, let's talk about Hoaglander for a bit. I think Niels Hoaglander... His value for this, first of all, he's looked amazing so far, right? He's looked, he's been, he's been awesome in, on that yeah. second line with Bo Horvat. But I think the value for Niels Hoaglander this season was, you know, helping Bo Horvat, you know, do more at five on five. Because we all know what Bo Horvat can do on the power play. Like in that bumper yeah. spot, he's awesome. He, he's he's al- almost like one of the keys of the Canucks power play is unlocking Bo Horvat in yeah. that bumper spot. But, you know, Niels Hoaglander, he can do a lot more at five on five offensively than who he's usually playing on that wing with Louis Erickson, right? Like, Louis, yeah. if you can switch Bo Horvat from more of a offensive role at 5 of 5 to a kind of mm-hmm. shutdown line, that that helps yeah. the team a lot because now you've got two scoring lines you can count on. So, like, what are your thoughts been on, on Hoaglander so far? I think he's been great, personally. He, he, he's amazed me. I mean, when he was coming in, I, I, knew, I knew some about him. I knew, obviously, he was gifted uh, offensively. But what I've been impressed, especially yesterday, like, He's good in the forecheck. He's good in the corners. Like, you know, he's not a huge guy, but yeah. he's strong. He's got strong legs. It's hard to knock him off the puck. And I think he's just gaining confidence. And you notice it a little bit. He tries some of those little cheeky little plays through the legs or little spinoramas. I think we're going to see more of that. I think he's kind of like just kind of learning the ropes. He's kind of learning his teammates. And then the teammates are going to kind of, you know, give him some confidence. Say, hey, man, you know, kid, go try that. Don't, don't be nervous. Don't be scared to make a mistake. I think there was, I think it was against Montreal where he kind of tried something and he kind of messed up and Montreal went the other way and scored and Pedersen was on the bench. And I think uh, 
Miller were on the bench and they're kind of like patting him on the back to say, listen, kid, don't worry about it. You need these guys to go try things. So offensively, he's been great, but I've enjoyed the fact that defensively he hasn't been a liability. You know, he's made some mistakes yeah. that any rookie's going to make, but he's back. He's usually the first guy back when he makes a mistake, you know, skating back when they lose the puck in the offensive zone. So that's good. I mean, uh, the number one thing to that is uh, he's being played by Travis Green. Years we've seen, like, you know, he won't play young kids. He won't play Jake for Tannen when he, you know, in other years and, you know, when there's like 10 minutes left in the game. But you notice he doesn't take Hoaglander off that line, even if they're up by a goal or up by two goals or down by a goal. He lets him play in all situations. So he's got the coach's trust. So he's exceeded my expectations majorly. I think he's doing great. And I didn't think he was going to be able to kind of stick here on the top six, but uh, he's doing it. And man, all the power to him. I still want to see a Niels Hoaglander lacrosse goal at some point this season. I want it's to see coming. him. I want to see him at least try it. Like this guy, I saw that you know you've, we've seen the clips online yeah. for, for for a few months now, and for the past yeah. you know year and a bit, you know this guy's doing just destroying goalies with the lacrosse move. Let's see it. Like hopefully he gets more confidence because of this start, and he he tries it against one of these teams. I want to see. I want to see a Hoaglander lacrosse goal. I, I think it's coming, and I think he's gonna. It's coming soon. I'm not sure he's gonna score on it, but he, the attempt is coming. I think within the next. I'm gonna, you know what I'm gonna say? I'm within the next 15 to 20 games. Kid's gonna try it. He's, he's okay. gaining confidence every game, and look what he's doing. He's getting some points. And you know, if you ever played hockey, even I mean, I play beer league hockey, like the bottom of the barrel, right? Like, but it's amazing what points will do for you. Like, you know, yeah. if you get like 50 chances to score, but you don't get a goal or you don't get an assist, it does nothing. But when you know that one point, and he's what the last couple of games, Pearson's actually knocked a couple in, and Hoaglander's got some assists on him. Hey. He's getting confidence. I think he's learning that he can play at this level and he can compete with these guys. And, he, he, you know, I like I love to see it. He's, he's going to do it. He's going to try it for sure. And another thing that Hoaglander really provides for this Canucks team is a good forward on a cheap contract. Like, that yeah. might be that might be overlooked with his play, but he's on an ELC for this year and the next two years. That's, that's, got, that's very valuable considering the cap situation the Canucks are in. See, that, that's the one issue I have with this, have with this team. Now they got, you know, they got Hoaglander here and they got Pocosin coming in. They're going to have that opportunity. My hope always was, I always feel like any legit team, any team that's going to win a Stanley Cup or compete for a Stanley Cup, they got two windows. You got the window when you're, you got you, you got your kids, you, the star kids, obviously the Pedersen, the Hughes especially, you got them on these contracts that are basically nothing. You got them on the $750,000 million that they mean nothing, right? And then you can bring in some star players or like one valuable piece to kind of add and they can go on a cup run, right? Yeah. And then your second window is when these guys are obviously making the big money and they're in their prime, they're 26, 27 years old, and you can bring in the old veteran guy um, for a cheap contract. My worry is that they've missed, the Canucks have kind of missed that boat for the first one. Yeah. Unless obviously Hoaglanders come in and Pocosin comes in, hopefully, and they come in kind of like to a certain extent that PD and Hughes came in, obviously maybe not at that level because those mm -hmm. guys to me are superstars. But if they even come in like a Horvat and a Besser level, I mean, that's huge because that kind of opens up their window a little bit earlier with these kids on small contracts. So Let's hope. Let's hope that that window kind of gets opened up a little bit quicker than it may because of obviously the cap issues the Canucks are going to have in the years to come. Because you need these guys to contribute. Because Brandon Sutter, uh, you know Beagle, you know Barchi, not even playing Louis Erickson. I mean, they're not going to contribute, especially when these guys are going to be playing the Jets and the Leafs and the Oilers, like better teams in this division, right? So, fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. So one guy that was scratched last night at the time of recording was Jake Vertanen. On a scale of one to ten, how done are we with with Jake Vertanen at this point? Let's let be real, be real. Fifteen. <laughs> really? I, sorry, like I, you've I, you've shattered you've shattered it. I, I'm just you know I'm, the thing with Jake Vertanen is like 
his frustration, my frustration with Jake Vertanen is, is a different frustration. Like I, I get frustrated with a Louis, B, I'm sorry, with a Louis Erickson or a Beagle or a Brandon Sutter, but that's different. This kid has all the potential in the world, all the potential. You can't compare him to an Adam Gaudet. You know, Adam Gaudet was, he wasn't a top five, six pick no. or whatever, right? Like this kid was a top pick and he's a big kid. He's huge. He's over six feet tall, you know, whatever, 200 pounds. He's got speed. He skates. If he wants to skate, like who's going to stop him? If he wants to shoot, who's going to stop him? If you're going to push people around, who's going to stop this kid? And he just, I'm not sure if it's, I think it's, a, if it's is it a mental thing? Is it a hockey? I think it's a hockey IQ thing. I just, I, just, I just don't think he's a very smart player. But if you're not a very smart player, put some effort into it. Put some effort into your game. Start running people over and he just refuses to do that. So, I mean, I'm personally done with him. I mean, how low can his value be right now? I mean, I would have, I think if the Canucks were smarter, they've always had this issue is they never trade people when they're on, you know, the top yeah. of the hill, when they're top of the mountain. He had like 18 goals last year. And you know the kind of guy he is. You know the coaches know what he is, the general manager. That's when you trade him. You can't trade him now. I mean, he's got one goal. The goalie, Holtby, has as many points as Vertanen does here in the first <laughs> That's eight That's a games, good point, you know yeah. I mean? So you can't trade him. He's worth trash right now. So he wasn't in the last game. So you're almost forced to play this guy because – yeah, you want to. You don't want to maybe perhaps have him on your team, but you don't want to give him away for like a seventh round draft pick either. You need to get some value off this kid, right? Like whether that be packaging him up for a defenseman or you know getting a third round pick. What I mean, his value is not very high, but I, I'm personally done with him. I'm kind of done making fun of him on Twitter because it's 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 not even funny anymore. It's just I kind of do it just to poke at a couple of guys. I love Jake Vertanen. I think we know both who we're talking about. Yeah. So I'm not gonna name drop him, but like, man, like. Come on, man, Jake. He's a local kid, but I'm just I'm sick of I'm sick of his um, hockey IQ and I'm sick of his work ethic. Like, pick one of them up. Yeah, and you know, you know what? The point that I realized, okay, I think I'm forever done with Jake Rutan's when he dumped the puck in at, at oh. three three. I was just like, okay, that that's it. I, I can't. I don't know how, where else where else can we go with here with Jake Rutan. Like, the whole point of three on three is puck possession. You can't dump oh. can't dump the puck in, man. And, and we I think we tweeted each other back and forth there because I posted that too. It was like. I've never seen anybody do that. And people it was, wild. Know, it was pro, wild. It was I was honestly shocked. And the pro Jake Vertanen, no, he was stuck. I'm like, listen, then you throw it back to your goalie. You know, the <laughs> other end of the ice, you throw it back to your goalie, the defenseman jumps on, and now here you got puck possession again. Like maybe like I was blown away where he just kind of threw it in the corner. I'm like, does this guy think it's the second period, five on five? What's he doing? Like, and, and it almost cost him. They almost went the other way. Montreal almost went the other way immediately and scored. Like it's just the dumbest thing I've ever seen anybody do. And and that's what I posted. I'm like, I'm not even sure if it's skill. I think he has the skill, but his hockey IQ is just, you know, next to nothing because, I mean, you got to be stupid to do that. I'm sorry. I mean, that's just, it's a dumb play. Yeah, a- absolutely. And it makes it even the m- more wild that essentially Jim Benning chose Jake Vertanen over over Tyler Toffoli, right? Like, that was essentially yeah. a trade. Obviously, they had to move a, a bit more money, you know, to, to get yeah. Tyler Toffoli signed if they wanted. But to choose Jake over Tyler Toffoli from what we've seen so far is just, it's, it's, it's indefensible. Like, I don't know how you can spin that. Did you notice, like I was watching the game yesterday and somebody tweeted, I was laughing about it. And they're like, you know what? I didn't notice that Vertanen wasn't playing till the third period because he goes, he's been as missing as he has been in the games that he has played. And it's true. I, even in the games he's played, and I don't even say this to poke at people that I tweet at to make fun of him. I wasn't making fun of him. I go, I genuinely haven't noticed him in like 15 minutes. Like he hasn't done anything. And, you know, it hasn't been penalty kills or power plays, so it's not like he's not coming out. He, I haven't seen him. I mean, I noticed Roussel more, probably because he's taking a stupid penalty, but 
I mean, I notice these guys, Beagle, I notice more than Vertanen. He's out there, you know. Ma obviously has been great, but I don't notice the kids. So, I mean, if you're playing in the bottom six, at least be noticed. And he yeah. hasn't done that. So it's At like, least throw your body around or something like that. And he hasn't really even done that. Do something. I mean, like, I just, I just don't get it. Like, if you're that big and you hit somebody, it's probably not going to hurt Jake. Like, do yeah. something. Hit somebody. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to ask actually about about the large cast. Now I had Tej on back in who I want to say last March, right as the yeah. season got put on pause. So I, I think I know like how the podcast started and everything. But since then, yeah. you guys are on Sportsnet six fifty. Like how how did that come about? And that's gonna be pretty cool. I'm sure like you grew up listening to sports radio like myself, right? Like, it was a cool yeah. experience being on Sportsnet six fifty this past Saturday. Yeah. But like, what what was the process like getting on Sportsnet six fifty? You know what? It happened really quick. We, we've had a lot of, we've had personalities on from both stations. Um, and we always get like, oh, you guys just Sportsnet 650. We were never pro 650, pro uh, Sportsnet 650 even prior. We had, you know, the other radio station on multiple times, TSN guys on. We've had national guys on like James Duffy. And, you know, they're great. We got no issue with anybody. But we had, we've had like obviously Walker on. Um, uh, we've had uh, Dan Richo on, yeah. Randy Janda, all these guys, right? You know, they're good guys. And we had uh, CMAC on. So I think it, it kind of stemmed from the fact that when we had these guys, especially in studio, like the Walkers of the world or yeah. the Riccios of the world, we've had uh, Brendan Batchelor on the show. You know, after, you know, we'd speak obviously on air on the pod, but then even after the pod, we'd kind of hang out and talk and, you know, you know, you know, go to the bar, have a couple of drinks, obviously uh, pre Yeah, yes, yes, pre-COVID. We have to make pre-COVID, that, we have yeah. to make we that haven't clear. Even been, we haven't even been in the studio, unfortunately. We haven't even seen each other <laughs> since this whole thing started, yeah. right? So even since we've been on Sportsnet 650, we've been doing it from home remotely. So it's kind of weird. But um, so I think it kind of stemmed from that. And they kind of obviously talked to, uh, um, you know, their boss or C-Mac. And then we had him on. And one of the, we, what we do is one of the questions we ask in our rapid fire when we had anybody on is like, uh, one of the questions was, hey, where do you see the large cast in the next five years? And I think his answer was uh, hosting a show for me on, uh, on the radio. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we're in, we're in, we're in. And, you know, I think like a week later, two weeks later, I think he contacted Tej because he's kind of Tej is like the, I don't want to call him the leader because I would go to his head, but he's kind of like the kind of guy that takes care of all that kind of stuff. So, hey, you know, he asked us, hey, would you guys like to come on on a bit of a trial basis on Saturday morning, especially during the bubble? They wanted to kind of give us a chance and it kind of just went from there. I know, you know, we get a lot of hate for that, but, you know, because none of us are, we're not radio personalities. We all have day jobs. We all have our own personal lives and we kind of just do this for fun, right? Um, but it's been a great experience, man. I mean, C- C-Mac's been great. Like all the hosts on Sportsnet 650 have been great and, you know, we kind of do it for fun. It's, it's not a job. Like, mm-hmm. it, it could end tomorrow. Like, this isn't our profession. We take that, we take it, uh, I don't want to, we don't take it lightly, but at the same time, we appreciate the actual people that are in this profession that do this for a living. Those are the real guys, right? Those are the guys that went to school for this. Those are the guys that work hard. They, you know, they're studying for this and stuff and they're, you know, really researching. We do this as fans. We don't do this um, from the media point of view. We got nothing to gain for this. Even when we're on, and if you've ever listened, TJ is just, the sky's blue. He is the most, like, we, we know the media guys, they try to be in the middle of the road. They try to have both perspectives. We're fans. Like, I, I'll, if we were playing Vegas last year, I won't, media guys won't be like, I hate Vegas. I was on the radio. I'm like, I hate the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> I hope yeah. Ryan Reeves gets, you know, nailed into the boards. Like, that's what I think makes us unique is um, most of us are homers. Not as bad as TJ, but most, I mean, <laughs> we're all fans. He, he's at 95. a different level, to be honest. We are. He's at a different level. Nothing can go wrong. Anything Benning does or the Canucks do, they're just, it's great. We're going to win the cup every year. Like, I, I always joke with him. He reminds me of a five-year-old Nav when I was a kid. <laughs> and I, you know, asked my cousin, like, why don't the Canucks just trade their crappy players for Wayne Gretzky? Like, why don't we trade a fifth-round pick for Wayne Gretzky? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just silly, like, childish stuff. So, I love him for it. But 
Um, yeah, no, it's been a good experience and, you know, we're having fun. We'll see where the ride takes us. Um, we enjoy, I think we enjoy Saturday mornings a lot more than we were enjoy Sunday evenings. Cause you know, it's hard to watch football all, all day and talk sports, but yeah, Saturday mornings are fun and we'll see, see how far it goes, but it, it, it's been fun so far. Yeah. And it's been cool to see kind of like a local podcast, get their own radio show. Like that's kind yeah. of that, that it, uh, to me, like just as someone who's doing a podcast for yeah. a local show to get, you know, a significant radio airtime and obviously a bunch of these podcasters, you know, myself included, obviously, like yeah. we, 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 there's spots on radios and all stuff, but no, no one's really had like their own show, which is cool. Like a, a local podcast, getting their own show on a, uh, on a, on a sports radio station, it, it legitimizes it. And it seems yeah. like there, there is a lot of talent for, for you know, Canucks podcasts in this city. And yeah. it's cool that one of them, you know, has an opportunity on, on sports radio. And that's just it. And I, and we're not, and I'm going to be careful how I word this. We're not pioneers. We're not pioneers. We're not, I, but at the same time, like the people that there's a lot of people out there, the, the people that love us and there's people that hate us that mm. don't like the positive approach that we try to take. Fair enough, man. You have the right to your opinion. And people will be like, why are you guys on Sportsnet 650? Just because you guys are house radio and you guys are the positive approach? No, man. I think you guys should look at it at this point as like maybe we've opened the door. Like we've kind of gone in there and, you know, we've done a decent enough job. Maybe, maybe not a great job, even though I think we have. But listen, even if you think we've done an average job, hopefully now they're like, hey, these guys are pretty decent. Why don't we bring Nick on now? Why don't we bring, you know, these guys on? Try this other podcast on Sunday mornings. Try this podcast on Saturday night. Because truth be told, I think the future of radio, the future of broadcasting is podcast. Yes, I mean, radio, I, I, radio, I wholeheartedly yeah. agree, yeah. Yeah, because everyone needs a voice. And uh, radio is never going to die. Like, you know, obviously the main guys, you know, that go to school for this, they're, they're never going to go away and fall on them, right? But with social media, everyone has a voice. Everyone has a voice and they have the right, through the right avenues to voice that opinion, right? As long as they're being, you know, respectful in those opinions, they have a right to voice their opinions. Obviously, Twitter is a little bit different, but when you're on the radio, as long as you're being respectful, then it's your full right to have that opportunity and to be on it. And if that's what you're passionate about, man, listen, let's do it. Let's reach out. You know what? We'd like to welcome these guys to, on our show to have your voice on the radio. So these guys can hear like maybe Sportsnet guys or the other radio station TSN guys haven't heard you before. Maybe we're a way that you guys can come on and have your voices heard. And maybe you guys can get a show and, you know, succeed in what you guys are doing. So that's, that's all we take. Again, we take ourselves very lightly but we don't take the opportunity lightly at all. Yeah, that that that's very well said. So, uh, so Nav, thank you, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Hope we can do it again sometime. Anytime, man, Nick. It was fun. It's fun to talk to other people besides the normal guys that I'm talking to, a different opinion. So, yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed you know tweeting with you back and forth there on Twitter. Uh, you're always fun to engage with, and uh, man, wish you all the best there on Sportsnet 50. I know you were on last week. Yeah, hopefully that's just hopefully that's just the beginning. Onwards and upwards. There you go. Absolutely, buddy. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thank you to Nav Dosange of the Larsh Cast for hopping on the podcast. Much appreciated. And I wanted to end the podcast with a little bit of stonk talk. Look, stonks are everywhere. Everyone's getting wild about stocks. GameStop, GME, AMC, Dogecoin, not really a stock or crypto, but one player, two, two contrasting players, pardon me, two contrasting player stonks I want to discuss. Jake Rutanen and Niels Hoaglander. Niels Hoaglander stock, I got diamond hands with Hoaglander stock. It's going to the moon. This guy is going to be a great middle six forward for the Vancouver Canucks for the next number of seasons. And he's only going to be on the cheap contract for at least 
this season and two more. Entry-level deal. Huge for the Vancouver Canucks considering their cap problems. Great, great middle six player going forward for the Vancouver Canucks. And maybe he gets a chance for Elias Patterson, but I only see that if the lotto line is really, really struggling. I get, again, I got... I, this Niels Hoaglander stonk is going to the moon. To the moon! He's going to be a great player. I love watching him play already. One player whose stonk has fallen, it's toxic, don't go near it, is unfortunately Jake Rutan. We mentioned this in the interview. I'm just so done with Jake. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. This guy had a golden opportunity this year to prove his worth as a point-producing forward in the National Hockey League, playing with Elias Pedersen and Brock Besser. He was on that top line. He was he need he was gonna replace the Toffoli after he left. That's they they chose Jake over Tyler Toffoli, and it's blown up in their face. Jake for Tannen. It's been what close to seven years since he's been drafted. If he hasn't figured it out by now, he will never figure it out. I don't know how many. Maybe Tambier is the only one who has a big. Uh, a big stake in, in, in Vertanen stonk. I don't know who's going to buy it, but I wouldn't want to hold it right now. Again, Jake Vertanen. Looks like Adam Gaudet has kind of replaced him as a... He's not even in the lineup. Adam Gaudet has replaced him as a third-line winger. So when you're not even in the line, if you can't score, if you can't play well defensively, what use are you to this team? It's sad, but it's true. So, Niels Hoaglander stonk, going to the moon. Jake Vertanen stonk. Going way down. A lot of people trying to short Jake Vertanen's stonk right now. And that is this week's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Nux Misconduct Network of Podcasts. Subscribe to the uh, network wherever you get podcasts. One swipe, one tap, as we like to say, you get this show. Power of the Towel, Silky and Filthy, The Quickie, a daily hockey show from Trevor Beggs, and Sip It on a 40, the official post-game show of the network. Four shows on the network right now for your listening enjoyment. Once again, this is Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Thank you for listening.